Hello and welcome to the 116th episode of The Sausage Factory, which is brought to you by Spong.com and hosted by me, Chris O'Regan. In this show, we interview video game developers and ask them how they made their start making games, what their influences are and who inspires them. Split into two halves, the show initially focuses on the developer themselves, and in the second half we discuss the game they're here to promote, which in this case is Project High Rise by Summersim. Matt, who are you and what do you do? Hi, my name is Matthew Vione. I am one of the two co-founders of Summersim. We make simulation games, independent simulation games. Um, we started doing this about three years ago, and we're two games in, and we really are trying to create, by force of will, an indie simulation game community, development community. So what was your first game, then? Our first game was called 1849. It is a city simulation game set in the California Gold Rush. Uh, it was inspired by pretty heavily by Caesar Three and Caesar Two. So that idea that you're progressing through a uh, campaign. Um, in Caesar, you were building the Roman Empire. In 1849, you were building California slowly as the Gold Rush progressed and advanced. Yeah, fascinating part of history, and uh, yes, yeah, great, great subject for you know because it didn't last very long, did it? Really? No, 20, no, but 20 it, 30 years tops, maybe less. Uh, the intense part of it was from about eighteen forty nine through about eighteen fifty six or fifty seven. Yeah, that's when like that, that's when it was like the gold rush, and everybody was rushing into the state literally. Um, after about eighteen fifty six, all the surface gold that was easy to get at was gotten and then it turned into a much more industrial kind of thing like blasting whole mountain tops away and things like that so and then something like, happened in the east i can't remember now something in the mid uh, 1860s can't quite yeah, yeah then they found then they found silver in nevada oh and, right okay <laughs> i was thinking of the civil war but okay <laughs> oh yeah there was a civil war too <laughs> they yeah. discovered the civil war yeah there was that <laughs> there was that yeah <laughs> Yeah, I know my American history. Um, so, yeah. Anyway, how did you make your start making video games? Well, um, my co-founder, Rob Zubek, um, he has been making games for a long time. He started off at EA and then um, worked at a small company called Three Rings where they made a game called Puzzle Pirates. Um, then he was at Zynga for four years. And we had always talked about how we wanted to... There weren't enough games that we liked to play the sort of simulation tycoon business manager kinds of games. Uh, so after a few years of bemoaning the lack of these on the market, we decided, well, why don't we just start making them? Um, we had the opportunity to try it um, with 1849, and we decided to take the plunge and start making our own simulation games. Were you influenced at all by... Um, the board game sort of resurgence recently, where you thought, oh, there's a, there's a market there? Um, I'm going to say something bad now. Um, I don't really play board games. Um, it's not bad? It's no, yeah. I'm a, I, I love video games. I love the complexity that, and the systems and the way that video games work. And, um, I, I do enjoy, I do enjoy board games. Um, when I have the time, but my passion is really about the art of the video game, um, and I think a board game and a video game are diverging pretty rapidly, at least in our simulation space. So, okay. um, 
not really that much inspiration from board games there. Interesting. And you're, you're, so you said you, you'd been working in games for a while, or you were an artist prior? We were just chatting before the show recorded. Oh, yeah. Um, before I got into video games, I was a graphic designer and a director of communications. Um, so I was a writer and art director, uh, which translated pretty nicely into my role as game designer and um, writer and art director. Um, I would always do things like, when I was playing Europa Universalis 3 or something like that, I would decide, this game would be much better if France weren't here. Um, so I would go in and get rid of France, and I enjoyed playing a little country in Germany much better with I, without France next door to worry about. So that kind of scripting design and playing with the rule sets of existing games is something I've done for a really long time. Yeah, the, the non-existence of France is something Britain has been wondering about for some time. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So I had to say that, everyone. Apologies yeah. to our French listeners. And many of our French guests have approached, because we've had many French developers on the show, so I deeply apologise for that. But just a thing. <laughs> in, in, fairness, in fairness, I did do the same thing sometimes to Britain. I'd be like, Wales is going to be independent now. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I'm, I'm sure they think that anyway. So yeah. they do have their own language and everything. Anyway, okay. And Rob's he's, he's, he's been working on in, in the industry for some time. So your meeting of yes. minds yes. both liked Sims. So w- w- what was your was it like Sim City was the game like yeah that's the, this is awesome was that the yeah, thing that I, got you? I think we sort of came together on a couple of games in the simulation genre and we diverge on a few. Sim City is definitely one that we both, especially SimCity 4 and once they did the Rush Hour expansion, um, I don't know how many hours I spent playing um, the Rush Hour version of SimCity 4. It was fantastic. Um, we also really like games like uh, like Railroad Tycoon and Children of the Nile. Um, I thought Children of the Nile, especially with the Alexandria expansion, was a beautiful game. Um, Rob is into more games like The Sims um, and I get more into sort of the grand strategy paradox side of things. So okay, so um, you're, but where we meet is that's a good that's 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 not surprising, considering the nature of Project High Rise. And that on one half of this coin, you've got this can be huge building, um, and then on the other side, you've got this micromanagement element of it of the people within yeah. it. Yeah, that right. sort of I think comes from a little bit of. Uh, not only the grand strategy part, but I also like like the four X games. So just a little bit of like the four X design, how the game slowly unfolds as the towers get bigger. Yeah, yeah. It, it, this oh, I love my four X games as well. I've been Me too. I've been having fun with Solaris. Um, oh, Stellaris has been so bad yeah. for productivity. Yeah, <laughs> Stellaris is. Uh, did I call it Stellaris? Sorry, no, sorry, it's another game. Stellaris is uh, fantastic four X games, and one of my favourite games of all time is Master of Orion Two. Uh, and... Me too. I, I even liked Master of Orion 3 and I think I'm the only one who did yes you are <laughs> <laughs> okay thanks I, I for being on the show Matt um... <laughs> I, I don't know there's something, something, about that, something about that game got me and I realize I know it's it, it's. I don't know it's like eating junk food it's like I know this isn't good but 
<laughs> oh, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah, I, I shouldn't. I'm not going to sit there and go. Oh, you should not like this. I'm not this. I hate that. I just another thing I hate about sort of our culture or popular and sort of, sort of uh, culture that we exist in is like when people say, "What you haven't seen Firefly?" So I envy those people who haven't seen that show because I, I have. I have not. See, you haven't seen it. I envy you because actually, oh, thank you. Yeah, because now you've. You're going to experience it. I have. I've done it years ago. <laughs> it's like, so, yeah, that's yeah, you know. that's true. Like if you could, uh, if you could go back in time and like see Christopher Nolan's Memento for the first time or something like that. Yeah, I would envy somebody that experience. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so we've already touched on this next question, but I want to delve deeper into it. As a creator, what are your biggest influences? Do you think? Um. Again, I think I think game, games like Children of the Nile and SimCity uh, were huge inspirations. Um, and same with games like Caesar. I think it's just because of um, it's a generational thing. Given when I went to high school, I graduated from high school the same year that Sim Tower came out in 1994. Um, so these were sort of the the games through like you know the beginning of the 2000s. When I sort of, um, they were formative for they, they were formative for me. So uh, I guess I sort of default and run back to that home state when I start when I start a design process. Um, I also try to keep up with again games like The Sims and um, other simulation games that are more about the pure AI of the simulation because um, I try to Rob is an AI programmer so. Uh, we have that conversation frequently about how we can work the AI and the systems in, into the game. So I think sort of that whole simulation genre is a big influence for us. Um, I can talk specifically about like our touchstones for Project High Rise or 1849 if that's helpful. If, or It'll give us an in- indication of, as you as a developer, what, yeah. what gets your juices flowing. So yes, uh, go uh, ahead. For me, it's about re- like we we played the original Sim Tower when we were doing it, and it was not a great experience. Um, it was a great game at the time, and I spent huge numbers of hours playing it. What I really wanted to do was recreate that feel that I had with Sim Tower um, when I in in 1994. But as games have changed, simulation games have changed. Expectations of simulation game players have changed. I wanted to sort of combine that with a feeling that I got when I played something like City Skylines or Prison Architect. Um, that more modern kind of pacing, that more modern kind of simulation game design, and just, you know, the technology is so much better that we have at our fingertips now, too, so... Uh, something what really, I just explained is, re, is, is sort of recreating that night, those, those nights when I was, you know, 18 or 19 with headphones in my parents' basement with that huge tower playing that game. Like, I want to pass that experience on to people. It's something, so I almost interrupted you there, but it was something yeah. I've spoken about with developers before, and there's, there's, a lot, there's a big resurgence at the moment of retro gaming or games from 30 or well, sometimes 40 years ago. And they're saying, oh, yes, I don't make them like that anymore. And I go, yeah, thank God for that. Yeah. <laughs> I actually this at, at PAX, uh, someone came up to me and said, um, "Is there elevator management in the game?" And I said, "No, there isn't." And I said, "Oh, I loved that." And I just said, "No, no, you didn't. <laughs> no, you didn't. You think you did, you think but you, you didn't. You didn't." 
And that's what I love about things now because, yes, there's some fantastic things that happened in the past in video games. Of course there is. It's, it's the same with any medium. There yeah. are some fantastic things that were done in the past from which we learn from and still do to this day because they worked. But then there's other things that weren't so great that we've cast aside. And you know yes. what happens with memory? It's selective. Yes, it is. <laughs> it's the, it's a, I, we are, we're familiar. It's the double-edged sword of building a game that sort of plays in nostalgia. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. It's, it shouldn't do because I think it... We're going to talk about it in depth later on, but Project yeah. High Rise, Sorry. I believe... And there's no pun intended. I don't think there's a pun here, actually, but it stands on its own ground. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's it, it, it's it's it, it's a game that's you. Some people say, "Oh, it's like you know, SimTel." For those who can remember SimTel, which is a game that's 22 years old. Yes. Okay, it's not 10 years old. The 90s weren't 10 years ago. Stop thinking that, everyone. It was 20 years ago. But I want to think that they were 10 years ago. <laughs> I know you do. I do too. But I'm now, you know, understanding that they really weren't. And, yeah. uh, you know, and things were very, very different back then. Picture this. There were no real internet in 94. There was barely. No. It was a modem with lots of squeaking sounds, which you don't remember. <laughs> I, I do. I remember, like having to do email through VI or Pine or some such thing like that, and there was no GUI. There was none of this fun stuff that we have now. Copy serve. Anyway, um, and all that rubbish. Just, yes. just nonsense. Nonsense. I just knew nothing what was going on. I mean, remember Microsoft saying the internet would be a fad. <laughs> Microsoft said this. Yes. Yeah. It said many silly things in the past, uh, especially considering about memory. So... Speaking of other people in the industry and companies and things, what developer do you most admire in in the industry and why? Um, I really admire Paradox. <laughs> um, I think that they've done a very good job of, on one side, growing their company organically with their players. Um, they haven't they, they, since I started playing their games, I think it was EU2 was my first one I played, um, they have consistently put out a product that is better with every iteration, except for Rome. Um, and they have consistently learned from their design failures, from their things that didn't go so well. And like I said, they came out with Stellaris, which is just a mind-blowing game. Um, I... Um, also very much admire and um, in terms of big companies I'm not sure I don't play a lot of it doesn't big have to titles. be oh, actually I mean yeah. there's there's also for there's also for access I mean I I love the Civilization series yeah um, 6 is on its way isn't it so I know more about more productivity down the drain yeah um, <laughs> I might have just the way to sue at this point I might yeah. <laughs> just, the way that, just the way that they've kept that whole series alive and reinvented it every time. It's, like when, never when see- before Civ Five came out, I was like hexes and no unit stacking. That's going to be terrible. It's not terrible. I have twenty two hundred hours of the game. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah, I did. I just find it fascinating how they've yes they changed that dynamic and it did it did put a lot of people off. And I kept on urging people, it's okay. 
actually unit stacking was a pain in the rear end, if you think about yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, if you go back and play Civilization Four, I'm like, oh, this is kind of gross. This is annoying. Uh, yeah. But I found that they went delve deep into the diplomacy and religion stuff. That was yes. a good thing to do, because yes. we're more than just binary beings. You know, we, we, we are driven by many things, not just acquisition of stuff, contrary to popular yeah. belief. And the fact that there were some civilizations later on that had unique things that no other civilization had, I mean, that kind of simulation of a cultural experience that is unique to an individual culture, that was fascinating, too. Yeah. So you could play the game differently. Like, if you're the Byzantines, you get that extra spiritual bonus. Yeah. Um, so, it's a, so it, yeah, really, really good answer. Um, yeah. And it doesn't surprise me that for you personally, they're the, they're the games that or developers you're drawn to. Uh, yeah. And I think Paradox, they just kept on going regardless, didn't they? Yes. Because um, a lot of people going, no one's playing these. I know. They will eventually. Yes. <laughs> I wouldn't play them right now either. They, they need work, but we'll get there. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, uh, just, yeah. just to keep, just, just that, that perseverance and stubborn adherence to vision is something that I admire a lot. Yeah, because a lot of people don't have that. And uh, yes. they end up walking away or doing whatever. Just like, oh, just ended up making a Candy Crush clone, and no one wants that, you know? No. <laughs> no, no one does. No one, we don't need it either. No one, no, no. It still makes me shiver when I see people play it on the train. I shouldn't be like that, but I'm going, here, try threes. It's way better. <laughs> threes is way better. That's another game. That, that was a, that's still a time sink. Me too. It's that and all, all times of adventure. Still play those two games. Yeah, and uh, the Bears game, uh, Triple Town. I like Triple Town oh, a lot. Okay. So, speaking of games you're playing right now, I'm just putting out the segues like I would not believe. <laughs> <laughs> Although it's not a segue anymore because I just identified it. Correct. <sighs> what are you playing right now? Uh, I, I am say, playing. You can't say Project High Rise. <laughs> I'm, no, I, I, no, I can't. But I'm playing. I'm playing Stellaris. Um, I just started. Planet Base was on sale, so I've just started playing Planet Base as well. Um, that was. I just started. I mean, I started playing it last night and got through the tutorial. Tell us about and, Planet Base. I'm not familiar with it. Before I go, um, it. It, you build a planet base. You have some colonists who land, and again, this is my impression of getting through the tutorial last night. Um, and you have to build infrastructure and specific functioning units. Like, you have to build a a biodome, and then inside of it you can put places for people to eat and watch TV and hang out. And um, it's like a... It kind of reminds me of um, Banished in Space a little bit. Okay. Um, that's my early impression of after playing 45 minutes of it last right. night. But I played 45 minutes of it, and I want to go back and play more of it. So that doesn't happen that often so um and stellaris has still got me hooked um did you make your own race or did you just take one of the the original ones um i've just been being the humans so far um i have a i have at that point in one of my games where uh in the game that i'm playing right now where no one's going to mess none of my neighbors are going to mess with me and i'm going to have to mess with one of them soon and that impasse yeah you're gonna have to be a jerk eventually aren't you (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and I'm sort of looking around going, hmm, I don't really want to do this to any of you, but you're in my way. Yeah. <laughs> so 
<laughs> you remember the galactic dominance you're in my way yes uh, and i have built a beautiful battle fleet that i would like to but I, I don't know i feel like i have to use it now yeah i i, I when i'm doing that at that stage early on in the game like this is all entirely preventative just want to make it absolutely yes. clear <laughs> and now it's you haven't now you people haven't been very preventative have you yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear i that's one so of the like things all, all of my neighbors except for one are like inferior to me technologically and in, in terms of fleet so i'm just gonna have to bite the bullet if i go back to this game um aggressive imperialism i, a, I believe they call it yes I had I had a system that had a Gaia world and two continental worlds in it at the same time, and I was like, ah, I must play. So, yeah, yeah. Where do you get those sweet spots like that? It's just and it was a and it was and it was a sweet spot, and it just kept going. It's the first I had one take when I first started playing the game when it first came out, and then there was a lot of oh, gross restart, oh, gross restart. But this one has taken off, so yeah, it- that's. So, like Stellaris and Civ both do that. You'll play them, and you won't get a good start, and you'll just stop and play something else. Yeah. But then when you get one started, like I don't know, I have dreams about it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had Space Fungus. Yay, Space Fungus. Oh. Um, no, that's, that was my race. We were fungus. Yes. Yeah, and uh, we, we, you know, benevolent sort of dictators, um, kind of not really too good on the old representative democracy thing because of the old spores and stuff. Uh, couldn't really count the votes. Too many things so <laughs> that's yeah. my just my backstory anyway and uh yeah having a whale of a time um had a bit of a set to of an aggressive very aggressive neighbor who actually decided to be bullied as a younger species uh and decided to just attack me for no apparent reason uh you know when you're spinning those plates trying to be dipl- diplomatic about everyone trying to keep everyone happy nothing i did satisfied this being these beings yeah, that, that that happens. I mean, when you play when you play in Civ and you in Civ Five, and the first people you meet are the Aztecs or the Zulus. You're like, oh, and we're done here. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It's just like you're just gonna you know, just gonna be constant war of attrition, and that basically happened. But I managed to secure two systems, and then he ran. I mean, they ran uh, at that point, um, all because yes. I took you know systems from it and. And now they're they're um, they're sort of curled up in a little ball, and in a little quarter quarter. Run away! Yeah, run away! And I'm not sure what to do. <laughs> I'm not sure what to do with them, Matt. I don't know. Should I yeah. let them exist? I don't know. Yeah, at the, uh, <laughs> at the one hand, I have a I don't know, probably approaching a couple hundred hours in at this point. Yeah. But at the same time, I still don't know what to do in a lot of situations, yeah. and that's why I think it's a great game because like, I've been playing this for a long time and. I don't know what to do here. Yeah. <laughs> we know what to do, but we don't know, you know, how to play it. That's yeah. Everyone yeah. listening, the games, you know, once you get into that rhythm of it, the actual interface is fantastic and etc. And the tool tips are glorious. That's not the problem. Yes. It's just that you have so many choices, but you have to make the right choices, and you have to go. Well, I could pursue that line, <laughs> but that yeah. might end in lots of pain. <laughs> I'm not sure. Or, yeah, it's it, it's. That, that lack of clarity, like, that could end a lot, it could go well, I don't know. Yeah. So, yeah. And that's why I like playing sim games as well. It's exactly why I brought you on the show, because we don't have a lot of sim games. We did have, have we have had Paradox on the show um, many, many moons ago when we first started out. Um, and that was on Europa Universalis 4, no less. Oh. So we have had them on the show in the past. 
So, but we haven't had many Sims and uh, Sim game people on. I shall, I shall go back and give that a listen. Yes, you should. Uh, and uh, earlier episode though, so you know, finding our feet. But nonetheless, it was a good show, and um, it was about one of the expansions for that glorious game. Um, and yeah. it's, it's it's one of the reasons I like playing. You know, we're going back to the choices that the emergent gameplay that comes out of these games. Yes. You have your own stories. It is like Eve Online without the mess and the spreadsheets. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you really get to like create a a, a new story every time you yeah. start up a new sim, a, a new simulation game. And it's your to the point story. Sometimes I feel yeah. Sometimes I feel bad if I quit a civilization game. There's this I don't know odd remorse that I have just like mm-hmm. removed a world from existence by loading a new game. <laughs> yeah, I know you feel it. Uh, that can be, especially when it gets to a point where you're coming close to the end of one of the Civ games, certainly once Civ 1 and 2 had that, where you knew it was drawn to an end, you, know, the, you, know, you, you yes. were going out in space, you were going off to Alpha Centauri or whatever, you, and it was coming drawn to an end, and like, should I just nuke Germany? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, that happened, that, that, that happened like in SimCity 4 as well. You're like, I think I'm going to put a tornado there, because I don't really have much else to no, do here. Um, start, when you start sort of twiddling your thumbs and like, what if I just let that turn into a toxic swamp? Yeah. <laughs> just stop looking after it. Just see how bad it gets. No, don't do that. Don't, don't do that, everyone. <laughs> don't do that. You'll regret it. You will. So, that's it for the first half. Okay. I know. But if you be painless, don't worry. It's 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 going to get worse, unfortunately, because we're going to get the real details. But uh, <laughs> So, uh, that's it for the first half. Let's move on to the second half, where we delve deep into... Project Highwise. is a skyscraper simulation game where you are the architect, the builder, the manager of a modern skyscraper. So your job is to build everything, to build all the infrastructure, you have to choose the tenants that you want to move in, the arrangement, the services, the amenities that your building will provide. Um, Then once you have those tenants in, you need to make sure that they remain happy, that they keep paying you rent. Uh, that your infrastructure and your capacity for services and amenities is able to keep up with the demand as you grow your skyscraper. So, yeah, it is sort of a vertical SimCity type of thing. It certainly is. It's um, you do you can start off with three or four stories, and then you can add stories to it and add basements to it. I mean, um, yes. it's not. Um, uh, sort of a detailed construction sim because that would be ridiculous and also yes. that's another game um, yes go play Minecraft go away 
this is about this is about creating a building which then has to be nurtured and managed because buildings are not just the hello shells that you think they are they're once they're occupied all hell breaks loose because human beings being what they are need to be fed watered and cleaned and what have you constantly yes constantly the whole thing turns the, the whole thing turns into an ecosystem that needs care and management yes very careful care and management and yes. you have to feed it with things food water yes. electricity and other things to make sure that the creatures within it and then the human beings are kept happy and warm and things <laughs> and fit. yes um I know we've repeated ourselves there, but that's basically the core of what we're talking about Project High Rises. And you can actually create extraordinary buildings. Uh, and um, they initially start off as commercial offices, aren't they, really? Uh, you can start off as um, with, a resi- with a residential tower. Mm. Um, they are more challenging than offices, which comes from us talking to some property managers and developers. Right. And we asked them, would you rather manage an office building or an apartment building? And everyone said office building without much hesitation. So Interesting. Um, that's because tenants tend to buy leases or yes. and then they just sit there for 20, 30 years. That's it. Yes. You know, it's a one-off thing, is and they, when they buy that, they then have a management thing. It's just, yeah. But I've got to ask, the first detailed question is, Project High Rise, in order for it to function as a game that's worth anyone's time, and it does do this, I hasten to add, there's a great deal of streamlining going on um, concerning the construction and management of commercial buildings. What would you, yes. give them more time, I know it's a terrible thing to say to a developer, but let's just say in a strange world you had more time, and you know you're you're Chris Roberts and you're making Star Citizen or whatever. Uh, <laughs> sorry, we didn't. Oh, why would I want to do why that? Why would you want to do that? Um, It'd be terrible. Um, <laughs> what would you have liked to have included but have to have left out? Well, being in Chicago, we see a fair number of high rises that exist and that are still being built. Um, and downtown, uh, right where the branches of the river come together, they're building all, I think there were four 60-plus story buildings going up, like right in that little area. And one of the side-by-side was an office building and an apartment building. And when they were being constructed, you looked at the office building, and you could see pretty much straight through the thing. Um, there were no real interior walls except for the elevators. Everything was um, open and uh, so that they could put, build offices and build them to suit tenants when they moved in later. Then when you looked next door at the apartment building, uh, you have to build the infrastructure for human beings to live from the ground, from, from, from the ground up. Um, like if you want to have uh, washers and dryers in every unit, that's a whole order of magnitude different when it comes to plumbing infrastructure, especially when you're getting like 60 stories up, um, then if you're just going to have common laundry rooms, um, there are, you know, different kinds of floors that you might have for different offices that might support different weights of things or um, different heights of floors and things like that. So just that whole, like, from the beginning, that whole kind of diversity of construction would be something that we, that I would have 
liked to incorporate. How I don't make that boring is something that I would have to strongly think about. Um, but so that, you know, now that you've built this residential building um, and you want to turn it into an office building, that is no longer a trivial activity of just removing the apartment tenant and putting in the office tenant. Um, or same with the office building that you want to turn into an apartment building. That becomes a much more difficult process. So I think that there are some more details in the construction part that we could mine. Um, yeah, I mean, a good example is the is the bathrooms. Yeah. I mean, in the, the office, the bathroom is centered near the core. Yes. And then everyone else just goes to it as this vast bathroom complex yes. near the core of the building. Yes. Whereas in a residential, each little apartment has its own Bathroom. Bathroom. Yeah. Which is normally prefabricated off site and they just drop it in. Yeah. <laughs> and they plumb it in. So you'd have to rip all those out and Yes. <laughs> and make a new one. And make a new one and it's yeah. just not a trivial it's not a, it's it's not it, in our game it's kind of a trivial change, but um In reality, that, yeah. In reality it, it's not. And then like, <laughs> there's also there's there's also like the whole Im- impact of that and we do it a little bit tiny bit in the scenarios like the impact of the site that you choose on the not just the shape of the building but the kind of building that you can build um like in san francisco right now they have a uh building that you know it's sort of falling over yeah Um, yeah i read about that funny and that's a consequence of some strange construction choices for building an earthquake country, in my opinion, and mm. being next to a the largest one of the largest construction sites west of the Rockies. Um, so, like to have some impacts of sites like that, um, like in Chicago, uh, Chicago is basically a it's basically swampland that a city sprung up on. Um, so, the kinds of buildings and like the ground preparation and the things you have to do in Chicago versus in New York versus in Los Angeles, um, the kinds of different things that you have to do in buildings based on their geographic location and the particularities of their geography and geology and things like that would be something that I would have liked to have included as well. Okay. And like the whole building code things, like building a building in Chicago is a lot different than building a building in San Francisco or New York. So Immediately springs to mind, and there's this wind speed. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the, the I've been at the top of the John Hancock Building, which is right on the lakefront in Chicago, where yeah. you can feel that thing move. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> and there's, it, it's an odd feeling when you're 98 stories up in the air and the building is moving. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't surprise me. You're based in Chicago. It's, I think one of the earliest examples of a multi-story building of more than X amount of stories is Chicago. So, yes, uh, yeah, it's, we fight. We we fight with New York all the time about who actually invented the skyscraper. Yeah, I think so. it was Chicago. I know it's Chicago. It's, that's that's generally I'm, everyone outside. Um, looking from the outside in, everyone points to Chicago. So there you yes. go. Um, cast agree. iron thing. It was, I believe. It was, uh, yeah, amazing. Thing. Yeah, but it's. I don't think it exists anymore, does it? I think it's long since. Oh, that one's gone. The, the yeah. old. The, the the earliest one is the that that. I, I'm confident dating is the Reliance Building, which is 1894. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that we almost lost we, we almost lost that one, but it's restored and it's beautiful and spectacular again. Yeah, yeah. Now, I'm going to ask. This is a very blunt question, one I've always wanted to ask 
a sim person because or sim developer mm-hmm. uh, because what you do is something that I think is remarkable in that you take a topic like building management which is I'm going to say it dry it is sorry it's everyone it's, it's a little bit of a dry subject yet with project high rise you've made that entertaining and engaging what do you believe are the key design aspects that you've enshrined within project high rise to make that so I think it's about selling the fiction beyond the action. Like it, building management is what you're doing, um, but you're also building and managing, you know, the Sears Tower, the um, the Burj Khalifa, these tall, huge buildings that are sort of known the, the world around, the Empire State Building. Um, so I think that idea. Uh, forget what architect said it um i think it might have been scissor pelly that the desire to reach for the sky is very deep in the human psyche um so i think like you know when you are downtown in chicago or in new york or in london and you look up at these tall buildings you just can't help but be impressed and amazed by them so and then like when you look behind them there's this whole like we shouldn't be able to build buildings that are you know Burj Khalifa sized. That's crazy. But yet, there it is, and it functions, and people built it, people run it, people live in it, people work in it. Um, so, I think we try to identify what is the sort of psychic drive behind the simulation, whether that's building the transcontinental railroad or creating, recreating San Francisco or building Berlin's transit system better. Um, and you have to sort of acknowledge the fact that players within our niche are going to be, like me, sort of fascinated by these kinds of systems and want to somehow dabble in them and try to understand them by playing the game. Um, like, I learned and started to learn a lot about the Roman Empire by playing Caesar, and I went on to learn more and read more about it. So I think, again, it's like finding that core attractive Thing in, the, in what you're simulating and keeping that as sort of your design goal, your um, your goalpost as you're designing. Like, I want to make Project High Rise be the thing where you can build this 68, 98-story building and go, and go, I built that. So I think that's sort of like that kind of satisfaction of simulating that that is the goal well that's one of the great things about the sims games is you've hit the nail on the head and the the sheer spectacle of what you've built is just astonishing you look back and whether it's an empire a railroad system an airport whatever um it's still you know you've been at this for hours you realize that hang on from that little town which i now call my vast thing or from the, the, that small sort of three story building with a little basement underneath it is now this vast sort of stratosphere scraping yeah. <laughs> building that has a little hole in the middle for reasons I don't know I do that too Yeah. <laughs> um, ever since that, there's a Chinese building uh, the Chinese broadcast I'm not sure if you've seen it but it's an extraordinarily L shaped building with big cantilevers it's amazing um that's 
Yeah, I'm not sure what it's called. I should know what it's called, but uh, it's the, in... the Comcast the Comcast building in Philadelphia has yeah. a hole in the middle of it too. Oh, okay, cool. Um, yeah, there's a lot of that, and I've been watching people play this game, and I've done it myself, where they just do these weird shapes for no reason other than to do it. Oh, I've done it too. Um, sometimes it actually hinders the game and uh, reduces the uh, the how can I put it the uh, efficiency of what, how it's functioning. It, but it, hey. It, 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 it can create some suboptimal towers. Yes, it does. It does, but it looks awesome. And it's yep. your thing that you did. So, um, that's that's what. Yeah, it's the sheer spectacle and satisfaction of what you've made. That's what I believe. I think uh, so. Yeah, and uh, that's what these these games. Now, speaking of making things, people like to have them maybe potentially be destroyed or not, as the case may be. Have you ever entertained the idea of, you know, disaster management uh, to the point of the fantastical, or would you do you just want to keep it bedded in reality? Um, it's been entertained, and we talked about it. We're still talking about it. It's something that may show up in future expansions of the game, but as a designer and as a player sort of drives me nuts when an arbitrary event that the designer put in the game ruins what I've created. Mm-hmm. Um, so if I'm playing sim- um, actually Banished is a good example of this. Um, oh yes, I know this one. When playing I can deal with the fact that sometimes people wander off into the woods and starve during harvest. Okay, that's fine. But sometimes like you've been playing for 15 minutes, 20 minutes, and one of your buildings catches on fire, or a tornado hits, and there is absolutely nothing that I can do to mitigate any of that except to try to make it suck less. And as a player, when my choices are have something suck less, that's not a satisfact... That's not satisfying to me. Um, so if we do something like disasters or um, some sort of random type of events, I want there to be a way that it can... For the player to either be able to mitigate the chances of it happening or for that to lead to some sort of interesting gameplay that comes later. Um, for it to be a an event that leads to a, to a gateway to some sort of different kind of gameplay. I just don't want it to be, ha-ha, it's gone now. Um, that to me isn't satisfying as a designer or a player. Okay, that's, that's a great answer. Um, there's obvious ones like, you know, giant sort of like... Um, uh, how can I put it? Monster of some description, probably an ape. Um, that's a, you know, that's that's one you could do. Um, you know, zombie apocalypse. Yeah. That's never been done before. Um, insect infestation is probably more realistic. Yeah, um, or something like you know, say yeah. there's there's all this discussion about how you know, um, what are they called? Uh, coronal mass ejections could fly and take out the electricity grid. So what if there's, you know, a massive prolonged blackout? Um, yeah, yeah. And, you know, yeah. skyscrapers sort of need electricity to do just about everything. Yes. So, yeah. They do have generators, but... Yeah. They do, and, like, how... Like, and again, that, that, that's where I think you could design something interesting. Like, now you have to start relying on generators. You have to begin um, rebalancing the building based on the new situation, things yeah. like that. Yeah. Not so much that... Um, oh yeah, it's destroyed now. Haha, <laughs> sucks to be you. Um, <laughs> but how can you how can you have these events create something that's 
different in the gameplay. So yeah, so there's some uh, we've 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 kicked around some ideas like like that. Um, we'll we'll see. I think right now we're trying. We're, we're just now coming out of the. Uh, I think we've done six updates in the past since release. So we're now like that's fading down now. So we can get back to like game design and planning more content for the game. Okay. Uh, it's just something I, I find fascinating with Sims. Sometimes they do it well, sometimes they do it badly. Yes. Um, I mean, I can give you an example of emergent gameplay experience that I had that caused a disaster out of my own making. Would you like to hear about it? Oh, yeah, those are the, be- the, the, those are the best kind. Okay, SimCity 2000. It's quite old. And I had an airport near the... Well, it came. It became in the middle of the city, which is a bad idea. But the city kind of grew around the airport, uh, and uh, I needed a fire station and a police station nearby. You know where this is going, don't you? So, yes. um, <laughs> so I had a police station and fire station right nearby because you know there's there can be disasters occurring in these airports, and it didn't occur to me until until this this thing actually happened that uh, I put the fire station in a very stupid place. I put it at the end of the runway where the planes landed. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> oh, that's unfortunate. Yes, yes, it happened. I didn't think it would happen, but it did. And that plane went ploughing straight into, yes, that's right, the fire station. And then yes. half my city burnt down because there was no other fire station nearby until the other side of the city. Yes, it's like the. I, I, just, I just learned that the reason fire hydrants are not patented is because the patent office where it was registered caught on fire. <laughs> so, yeah, these kind of these, these kind of ironic emergent things are yeah. I I, I yeah. love those in game in game design. It's like and that's, it's, that's, that's that's sort of my goal like if if yeah. something goes wrong in this game, I want it to be your fault your player. Fault. <laughs> your fault. Yeah. And the mere fact that I scrimped and saved and didn't buy as many fire engine stations as I should have done is again my fault. Yes. Still, even off 16 years later, I'm still <laughs> griping about that. Yep. Last that question. happens. Last question. And this is something that you will personally understand because this is about the art and the visual style of a Project High Rise, which I've been fascinated by. Um, I'm going to describe it as bootless, but it's not, is it? It's something else. You can tell me. No. no. It's more. What is it? How was it described as? What was the art? I- it's more. I would kind of call it sort of an imagined future international style. Right. Okay. Um, how did that evolve? And uh, what aspects of it would you like to change? How did it evolve? It evolved because at the point when we were doing the art direction, we had just moved back to Chicago, and I um, fell back in love with Ludwig Mies van der Rohe's buildings. Um, from the IBM Tower Center downtown to Federal Plaza to the campus of IIT to some of his apartment buildings on Lakeshore Drive. Um, it's Chicago's sort of a master course in mid-20th century architecture. And I just sort of started walking around the city, talking to architects, looking at these buildings from the mid to late 60s. And um just the whole idea of them wearing their wearing their infrastructure on their skin and being minimalist um was just something that I wanted to focus on mostly because 
we weren't going to be showing a lot of the building skin, given that it's a 2D cutaway game. So that didn't really give us a chance to do very much decoration on the building on the outside of it itself. So we um, chose something that was deliberately minimalist for that part. For the interior elements, um, doing research for the art style of the game, I found a lot of paintings that were of the 1960s visions of what 20 years from the 1960s would look like. And those are fascinating things um, to look yeah, at. Like They do get it fantastically wrong. Fantastically wrong. So <laughs> I sort of wanted to start and say, so um, let's just get some things a little bit deliberately wrong and try to like you know have CRTs and clunky telephones and stuff like that and just present uh, an alternate view of how things could have gone. Um, it gives us some liberty with the art style and at the same time a good basis in something that we can go back to and look out for research. Uh, so that was sort of where we went, sort of like an alternate futuristic view based on some modernist architecture in downtown Chicago. So, yeah, okay. That's, that's great. I mean, there's also... A, the interface is, is quite clean, I've found. Thank you. That um, was... Again, that was... I took our, our UI artist who doesn't who who is the member the only main member of our team not from Chicago when he flew here I took him downtown to one of Mises buildings downtown and pointed and said that is your color palette enjoy um, <laughs> yeah so yeah yeah that comp- we were, and also looking at um, the brown appliances that Dieter Rams designed in the sixties um, that very grid based arrangement where the function and placement dedicated really dictated the design um right so we sort of like looked at well how how is the how is the game telling us that it wants to be played what are the where are the things that the buttons should go and we've moved things around a lot we've probably spent nine months or so figuring out the ui just the arrangement and the hierarchy and things like that okay yeah, it, it shows. It shows a lot of care and attention has been put into the interface because that can make or break a sim game. It, it definitely can. If you um, can't reach the thing that you need to reach relatively quickly within a few, within one or two mouse clicks, you're kind of in trouble. Is that right? Yes, I agree. Yeah, it's because um, you need to sometimes have to react to things really quickly. Uh, going back to our previous conversation about disasters yeah. occurring, and uh, if you can't do that quickly, then yeah, you're in a hiding to nothing. So things can get things can get out of hand very quickly. Yeah. So that's one thing that uh, people under underestimate the complexities of. Yes, you've got the core of the game, but how do you interact with it? And it's no good if it's buried in four layers of menus. No one wants that. Yes. Uh, and you don't want to have people typing in code either to, to no. get stuff to done. It's not it's not like the nineteen nineteen eighties where they could get away with stuff like that. It doesn't work that way. Well, Matt. Um, Project Highways is out on Windows PC and the other two, or is it just Windows PC? Forgive me. It's, win- it's Windows, it's Mac. Uh, there is an experimental build of Linux that you would get if you buy PC or Mac on Steam, um, but we are not Linux people, so 
caveat emptor with Linux. <laughs> Understood. But it is on Mac and and, P- and Windows PC. I've been playing most definitely. Yeah, yeah. I've been playing on Windows PC, but I do have a, a, a Mac uh, laptop, so I might try it out on that and uh, see so yeah, how that flies. Probably perfectly fine. It will. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Matt, it's been fantastic having you on. Thank you. It's been a great talk. Yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. I'm sure the audience has as well. Um, please do come back with another simulation you've got, whatever that may be. Um, I'd love sure, to. Yeah, I'm sure you've got something in line. But uh, in the meantime, we should do very, very, very best of luck with Project High Rise and do continue to do what you keep doing, please. Thank you, Chris. You do the same. It's been a great talk. And so ends another episode of the Sausage Factory. Do leave us an iTunes review, and you can also, don't forget, listen to us on Stitcher.com. So just go to Stitcher.com, and you can stream the show from there. You just look up the Sausage Factory, and you can find us. That'd be great. You can follow me on Twitter, at Chris O'Regan, no apostrophes. And uh, if you want to email me, any feedback on the show or actually you're a developer you listen to the show and want your game featured on it please do email me at chris at spong.com also don't forget to check out the computer game show which is the stablemate podcast should we say of spong.com bye bye